Hi, everybody. Hey, that's Todd. Hey, that's Sean. And hey, that's Richard. We're the co-hosts of Minute of the Apes. Minute of the Apes. Oh, wait. Oh, no, 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 Sean. You don't have to sing it. I promise I'll put it in without you. Don't worry. If you're looking for another member of the Movies by Minute family and you love the Planet of the Apes movies, don't look any further. Look for us, Minute of the Apes, on every one of your favorite podcasting services. And I promise, Sean will never sing again. Notice how Harry wears those tight brown pants, tiny suit jacket, but in a moment he can produce a 12-inch magnum? Where's he keeping that thing? And what's the deal with a brown suit anyway? He is dirty Harry, I suppose. Probably doesn't want to be getting around in ten slacks. Imagine the confrontation with Scorpio. I really want to kill you, but I'm too distracted by that giant stain on your leg. And I like to think the nickname Dirty Harry dates all the way back to preschool. You know, he's jumping off a swing, overshoots the jump and lands in a puddle. Go ahead, make my plate lunch. Not a lot of movie bad guys getting around on a bus. Goldfinger had the Rolls Royce. Darth Vader, Death Star. That's Scorpio. Now, he's a real villain of the people. I wonder if any of the kids in the school bus were secretly happy they were getting hijacked. I bet at least one of them was thinking, sure, my life is in danger, but there's a good chance I'm getting out of that math test. And what's with the nickname Scorpio? I mean, he's angry, like a Taurus. He likes the water, Aquarius. I don't see him scurrying around biting people. Hello? You know, I'm not sure if Californians really understand how the horoscope works. What's with these serial killers and astrology? I mean... Scorpio. Zodiac. Did I wake up one day and read the paper and it's like, You will have a dangerous encounter with a vulnerable stranger. Forget the car today. Take the bus instead. (laughs) Could a 44 Magnum really blow a head clean off? I mean, come on! Skull, hair, brains, blood. There's gotta be a little bit of mess in there. Don't you think? Can we all just admit that when Harry talks about his 44, he's really talking about his penis? That's what the movie is about! If we could all just admit it, 
then the movie could just be 10 minutes long, and I could save some time and go on another date with a woman. What do you see? Oh, just 44-inch penis. Oh, sounds interesting. Any other options? Yes, Dick Wish 2. when Dirty Harry finally turns in his badge, goes in retirement. What do I think he did that first year? I would have to say, do you ever see the beginning of Naked Gun, where Frank Drebin decides to go to Beirut for his vacation, and he ends up beating up all the world leaders of uh, America's enemies at the time? I could totally see Harry doing something nice and relaxing like that. Like he's, he's not going to go off into the sunset. Realistically, I actually could see Harry Callahan going into uh, either private security or like a private investigator. I kind of like to look at Clint Eastwood's movies, kind of piece them together kind of way. You know, I, I could totally see Gunny Highway becoming a Walt from uh, Grand Torino. Uh, the same way that I could see like, what was it, the blood work that Clint Eastwood did. Uh, where he was kind of like an investigative journalist or something like that and trying to prove somebody's innocence. I, I could kind of see him doing something along those lines, going into investigation for a private firm somewhere, his own uh, private investigator, as in like however he was in like Pink Cadillac or something like that. In fact, I like to think maybe Pink Cadillac was the sequel to this. So. So I would know that when Harry walked off into the sunset with Patricia Clarkson, he, we know it didn't work out because he ended up with uh, Bernadette Peters. Um, but yeah, yeah, I definitely think Harry would continue uh, a life of service. I, I think I think we've established that it looks like Harry may have been um, prior military, in fact, a Marine. In fact, I'm, I'm definitely going with that. And so it seems like he has definitely been somebody for throughout his life is putting himself in service to others. Uh, he seems to do it his own way, <laughs> uh, but he is in service, and I would think that would continue post-retirement. Think you're going to like felony cars? He's wearing a blue suit. He's writing traffic tickets. I might be boring most of the time, but who knows? There might be something right around the corner. Something. Well, not thrills, but something other folks don't see. What if it's something you don't understand? I don't know. It doesn't matter, I guess. Just as long as it's something. To be there is the thing, huh, partner? Look, I want you to tell Chico that I understand you know, him quitting. I think he's right. This is no life for you two. Why do you stay in it then? I don't know. I really don't. In 1970, this message would be even more compelling in urban environments right. where there was a perception of decay, degeneracy, yes. right. uh, crime rates were increasing rapidly. Like yes. you, people were afraid to go jogging in central park right it's, and, and it's not the new york of 2020 it's not right. gentrified new york and this is like right after the sort of peak of the warren court where you get a lot of these decisions that um that 
that do increase the rights of the accused, possibly or or probably quite literally at the expense of victims. Uh, and interestingly, um, I think you, there is a reading where you would say, "Dirty Harry is actually a an old school." Democrat, not him personally, but the way you'd read it is he's this blue collar guy who's yes. like the the FDR Truman Democrats. He's looking out for the small guy. Yeah, the liberals are no longer; they don't represent that anymore. Right, right. They've moved to all of these more uh, kind of this not yet professional managerial class, but moving in that direction, like effete professors concern about like abstract notions of racial justice over the day-to-day concerns of the average person who actually lives in San Francisco. Concerned about political correctness excessively as well. And this this is a kind of, you know, you, you can see in Clint Eastwood's oeuvre, a a very kind of populist conservatism, right? And this is, is displayed probably most prominently in Gran Torino again, in which is a very populist type film. It's like, yes, you, you could see this person as a, a middle class, a blue collar, the, the person who's looking out for the small guy, actually, the guy that liberals should be, or you think they should be, except for they now are much more educated and concerned about like, abstract ideas and identity politics instead of actually protecting people. At least that's the argument (laughs) that the film's making. What would Harry think of today's identity politics? Now that's a load of question, just like a load of 44 Magnum. Um, Probably one I don't really want to delve into too much here, (laughs) Uh, but I would say that he would, he would not be into it. You know, in the first movie, Dirty Harry, uh, Harry Callahan was definitely using some colorful metaphors, to say the least. But if you notice, like when he was making, when he was messing with Chico, he, you know, he had a little wink when he was insulting him. Ultimately, Harry is, you know, a, a trailblazer when it comes to uh, uh, teaming up with women. You know, all, all that. Every one of his partners has been in, in basically in a identity politic group. So even though Harry is definitely an old school gentleman and is definitely somebody who we consider today's gener- generation a bunch of snowflakes and has no time for for that kind of crap, he's definitely been one to be open-minded despite some of his words, <laughs> shall we say. Uh, I, I honestly think that for Harry Callahan, he doesn't care who you are. I mean, the joke is in the first movie, especially he hates everybody. (laughs) So, you know, how can he be a racist if you hate everybody equally? Um, Which is actually another side that points to Marines, because, you know, as as we're told, like Marines just hate everybody. And and in the Marine Corps, you know, we don't see color. We just see green. Uh, That's that's kind of how I see uh, Callahan seeing the world. The only thing is, he cares about your character. You know, you you do like especially if he's your partner, you do your job right. Half the time, the reason he doesn't want to team up with somebody is because he knows his partners end up in the hospital or dead. He doesn't want anybody getting hurt, and he doesn't have time to break in a, a rookie or or train somebody new. Not to mention, kind of bends the rules a little bit, and he probably doesn't want a witness, <laughs> so he'd rather go it alone. But but yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Harry would be into. 
um, identity politics at all. He, I think he's, he's more of a content of your character uh, type of person. I thought that his relish when he killed the man who stood for all liberal principles rolled into one, plus all evil rolled into one. You know, the man who was an absolutely maniac of a killer but wore a peace button so that Dirty Harry stood for all the, all the right-wing forces in American life. Uh, that, that relish that, that, that Eastwood showed about killing, uh, I found offensive. I, the way I feel about you, I haven't felt about a, a woman in a long, long time. So, you know, maybe we could, uh, you know, start over, you know, I mean, I... I've been thinking a lot about it, and we can't have a relationship. Sure we can, see, because I, I, I can change, I'll try no, harder. It's not that, it's not you, you're fine. It's what you do. It's, um, it's, it's all the violence. I have spent my life trying to run away from that. I cannot put Bonnie in a position where she doesn't know if her father's going to come home alive every night or not. Yeah, uh, yeah, I understand, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cops are too angry, too violent, too risky to care about. Until you need one, then. <laughs> then we're the second coming, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I understand that one, all right. I'm not surprised he was shot. I've been expecting it. All wives expect it these days, don't you know that? Some crazy getting it off, a radical doing his number. As far as being involved with his, his, you know his kid's life, I would think he was one of those absentee fathers where the job always came first. Uh, I, I don't really see him getting involved. He'd, he'd be the one to show up late, um, kind of like John McClane in Live Free or Die Hard or whichever one where his son came up and his son hated him, um, the one I didn't see. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I would think that he just – the job, you know, he's all about the job, and he, he definitely was not a family man, and he would just definitely be on his own and, and either just miss stuff or it slip his mind. Um, you know, while he's in service to others, he's not in service to his own family. Harry's wife, long dead, but never forgotten. The victim of a vehicular manslaughter, the perpetrator being under the influence. That was legal speak for a drunk who lost control and blew her off the street one senseless night. He had been working a tough case. He broke it. But when he went home, there was no one there, and she never came home. He put in a lot of extra hours since then, half the time without pay. But then who the hell becomes a cop for the money? It's the respect and the gratitude. And of course, helping justice to be done is its own reward. Really just emphasizes the importance of a tactical unit. Because they don't have one, 
And Mm-mm. a lot of these scenes go a lot better if you have a dedicated tactical unit. And so we've become spoiled that every movie we've watched so far, it's an assumed value that you have some kind of SWAT unit and then we can pick apart their tactics and look at, you know, how they've evolved and stuff. But this one, there is no SWAT team. It's just it's dirty Harry. They should have had one. SWAT teams don't come around until the 80s. Uh, oh. Or the, hold on. When is that <laughs> well, show? I big? mean, because they're big in LA. LA is the part where they start. San Francisco doesn't get one until I have to look it up. But probably you can go back well, to the sixties and, and see right. Why? There. Why do they need a SWAT team? They have Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood with the wrong sniper rifle on a rooftop is just begging Bad for news. a SWAT team. You got to have a SWAT team. Yeah. I lo- I only know that because I was looking at the. Internet movie firearm database, and they go through the whole thing of why it's a poor choice, but consistent with the character. I'm telling you, this website loves <laughs> movies and guns, and it it says it's a poor choice for a counter sniper engagement, but fits the character of Overkill, of a guy who carries a 44 Magnum. So that's cool that it like analyzes both aspects of it. That's a cool website. I'm gonna live there now. But yeah, so you've got the situation where they've they've got the guy pinned down in a building and they have no entry team. They have no sniper support. They don't even have the helicopter up because it's at night and they don't have thermal vision yet. So this movie plays out completely differently even just 10 years later. Really interesting Mm. to be no longer in that evolutionary cycle of the SWAT team, but instead pretty much just at its infancy or even maybe pre-infancy. In the first movie, Dirty Harry, of course, they have rooftop surveillance trying to find Scorpio. Are there, do most police departments in big urban centers, do they have dedicated planes, uh, helicopters and pilots? Like- if, if the department is big enough, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty typical. Um, you know, where I worked was a smaller town department and we didn't have any kind of an aviation unit, although as a, as a private pilot at the time, uh, there were a handful of times when I... Uh, would sort of switch switch hats and come in as a volunteer and uh, fly and work with the, the the county sheriff's office. So of course we're you know I worked for a city department, so that's that's a small municipality, and then that's inside of a larger county. Uh, and then of course the next for us the next thing out is the state. Um, but uh, there, I do remember pretty pretty clearly there was some suspected sort of you know, drug growing operations and things in the general area. And once or twice I would volunteer as a pilot just to, to take a colleague and, you know, fly around and take a look from above as you've got somebody who's, you know, at that time, obviously again, very different times now Washington state, uh, marijuana is big business at the time it was illegal. And, uh, you get a report of, there's uh there's a little tiny trailer that's out in the middle of nowhere up in the uh, mm. sort of up in the hills and the mountains and for some reason you know they're paying uh, $3000 a month for their electric bill um <laughs> that arouses some suspicion so we might go fly and circle around and take a look and see what we see but um smaller departments no but when you get to a bigger city you know Chicago uh you know New York obviously the the LA the the big ones have uh, pretty extensive aerial units. A lot of the states, uh, the, for us generally, we have a state patrol that is responsible for uh, for the highways and traffic accidents and speeding and things like that. Just on our interstate highways, where then the the 
county sheriff and their deputies handle the, the, the region and then the city departments handle the municipalities. A lot of the state patrol units will, will have fixed-wing airplanes for patrol. Uh, it's very easy to get up and loiter for hours and then do, uh, you know, look for, look for speeders uh, and measure, measure car speeds uh, from the air and then call to ground units to do that. Um, helicopters are certainly more popular for the big cities where that, that can be warranted. I think his dad would have been like a a high school teacher. That's what I, I know that sounds weird, but I feel like Harry feels to me like a person who has, is educated, educated in a way that you don't think of police as educated. Like he seems more with it, more, this seems more intelligent than the people he's working with. Let's put it that way. And, and so, and I feel like, you know, his, maybe his dad was like a gym teacher or whatever. Like, I just feel like he has kind of an element of himself where, you know, he's a reaction to something. And so maybe his dad was, you know, a pretty easygoing guy, you know, obviously small, you know, I think it would have been like in a small town. Like Harry is not like a born San Franciscan, but came there at some point and, and joined the police force. You know, he doesn't accept big city life for what it is. He comes with a, with a ideal and he, that he pursues it. And that's kind of that's kind of what I think his dad would have done. Six months in the hospital, four lawyers screaming about his civil rights. Well, it kept him off the street, didn't it? Yeah, and that's why I'm behind the desk, and you're taking orders from me now. Cool. Can you imagine Scorpio at home reading his own horoscope? Numerology and luck will play a big part in your future, Scorpio. You and a new work acquaintance will grow closer. This may be a source of agitation, but just give your new friend a chance, and he will blow you away. (laughs) You think Scorpio was confused when that big black guy put on gloves and started punching him instead of putting on a butler's outfit and bringing him the bat phone? The man misunderstood him. He wasn't asking for every penny's worth. He was saying, Alfred Pennyworth. When most people look at Scorpio, they see a bad guy who got what he deserved. What I see is a tragedy of misdirected potential. Listen when he screams. With a little music schooling, that guy could have been the lead singer of Rush. Do you ever notice how the Dirty Harry soundtrack kinda sounds like the music from an old school porno? Even the name, Dirty Harry. Think about the do you feel lucky scene, but in a sexy context. Try watching that scene with your eyes closed. I know what you're thinking. Did I fire six shots or only five? Do you feel lucky, punk? So, as it turns out, one... Harry likes roleplay. Two, Harry is a dominatrix. Three, Harry calls his wedding tackle 44 Magnum. And four, Harry has impressive stamina and lots of love to give. Wait, did Harry fuck his wife to death? I'm sorry, Clint. 
You mean I don't get to come to the Malpaso Christmas party? Hello there, this is Ryan Slawinski from the Spit and Polish Presents podcast. And, well, I'm saddened to hear that uh, the Dirty Harry Minute has come to a close. And what a marvellous adventure it was. Before guesting on the show and connecting with these guys, I never really had that strong of a relationship and, 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 and history with Dirty Harry as a movie, but... Listening to episodes and actually getting to speak about some of the moments in the film has really made me come to appreciate what Dirty Harry is as a film and what it did for the greater genre of cop and crime uh, stories. It added a new and dark and gritty perspective onto the whole thing. So... I'm very thankful for what Dirty Harry Minute has been able to do by actually sitting down and going through the film minute by minute and pointing out all of these interesting things about the themes, the characters, and, of course, real-world contexts of things. Things about the the time period, the costumes, the the, the behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm going to miss these guys chatting about uh, the... The on-screen charisma of Clint Eastwood, who is still somehow dominating the screen to this day in his 90s now. I mean, only a couple years ago did he give us the mule, and it is it is quite admirable that he's, he's still out there working and appearing and doing stuff and giving us that, uh, that charm that only Clint Eastwood can give, that gruff, dominating presence. But as I said, I want to thank everyone at the Dirty Harry Minute, all the uh, different hosts, all the different guests, for delivering onto us all a really enjoyable experience. If you want to check out my show, I host a podcast in which we talk about films called Spit and Polish Presents. Uh, Just hit that up on any of the platforms and you shall find us. Thanks, guys. How does Scorpio know about his rights? Ah, well... If you watch the movie Zoolander, no, wrong movie. If you watch the movie Dodgeball, yeah, Dodgeball, Ben Stiller has a joke about, you know, he got somebody's address via the Freedom of Information Act, and he said, well, the hippies got something right. (laughs) So uh, Scorpio is definitely a a hippie, uh, you know, a a leftover hippie of the time, and he would have known his rights as far as... um, you know, you can't hassle me. You know, it can't be hassled by the man. He's going to, you know, learn up on it and, and be able to um, use it. Of course, you know, he he didn't just become Scorpio overnight, too. He he definitely had some other run-ins with the law before he became the quote-unquote Scorpio killer and started, you know, sniping people on rooftops and, and doing all that other crap that he did. So, yeah, he, he definitely brushed up in his spare time on legal status. Because if you know, he... he he does come off as pretty smart when he when he basically frames Callahan for you know beating him up and it, it gives him some breathing room from from the police and from um, the government really so and to to continue to do you know what he does and get away with it. You know what else was at its infancy? The character development of Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what the hell was going on with him. Hey and man, or why he was doing it? What what he was thinking? It's not his story. That's the difference. Your expectation mm-hmm. with this movie is that you're going to get a fleshed out background or at least a tease. You're going to see 
what he's thinking, where he lives, why he's doing it, who treated him so now, badly when he was that. a kid. We, we see all that, but it's just not done. Uh, I guess it's the time period. I'll give it the George shoulder shrug. <laughs> give it the, give the, the time pass. Period. But, I mean, 10 years later, like you're saying, 10 years later, you get Buffalo Bill. The story is about Clarice. She's mm-hmm. the main character. Hannibal Lecter is only on screen for 18 minutes or whatever. Yep. But you get the backstory just enough. And it doesn't have to be like, let's go to Buffalo Bill's childhood. Let's go to Scorpio's childhood. But at least show him do a few what makes preparing him, what makes things. Like just the, just, yeah. I don't even need to know why he's doing it. Just give me little bits like they showed me something major. He's a Raiders fan. That explains a lot. Wow. Just by <laughs> just by showing me the pennant in his in his room. But you know, you find out where he works, but it's just not it's not enough to make me want. There was times where they could have done it, but they didn't bother doing it. Like like you said when he met up with the guy that was being paid to beat him up. Yeah. They let you I in I was just get a something. little bit. Yeah. You find out he's conniving, you find out he's 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 thinks ahead and has this whole plan as mm-hmm. the Joker would say you know he doesn't have a plan but he does yeah. he has the plan you see the fruition of his thoughts but you never really see his thoughts there's right. pl- there's meat elsewhere but I, I think that the killer should get a little bit of meat and he didn't have any I like that in this movie it really is about Harry you know so many, so many movies in this format even down to a lot of superhero movies. I'm looking at you, Batman 89, Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight Rises. They're not about the hero. They're about the villain, and the hero's just kind of engaged in the story arc of the villain. And this one, it's very much a Harry arc. Twenty twenty, what a year. Imagine if Harry was still on the force in twenty twenty. Imagine Harry in the era of the Me Too movement. What would he be thinking? It's pretty hard to know actually, because he hates injustice and he hates discrimination, but I don't know that he would have been across the issues of the Me Too movement. I think he might have been a little insensitive and a little politically incorrect about the Me Too movement issues. Thankfully, Harry wasn't working in 2020. I can see him retired down in Florida, making sure all those old farts are behaving themselves. What else would Harry have had to deal with in 2020? He would have had to deal with the era of Black Lives Matter. Does Harry see colour? I don't think he does. I don't think he does see black and white or black versus white or white versus black. He only sees good and bad. He was pretty black and white about that. I think Harry was a man of his times. Police were corrupt and a law unto their own and did what they thought was right and did what they did. They were allowed to punch people up. They were allowed to punch others up, uh, and they did. Um, How would Harry have coped in COVID? Well, the evenings would have been fine. I don't think Harry did much in the evenings when he was off duty. I think he just sat on his brown couch and drank beer and, you know, ordered in from the diner at the base of his building. 
he was an isolated man to begin with. So I think the evening lockdowns would have been fine for Harry. Uh, he wasn't a, a big man of freedom or liberty. Uh, but during the day, I think he would have found life pretty tough because he needed to get out there and fight the good fight and make sure things were safe for people. So, yeah, I think Harry in COVID times would have really struggled. I'm signing off from the Harry Project. I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss the young Harry. The ho- the old Harry, not so much. I can't actually distinguish between Harry and Clint Eastwood. I tend to think they're one and the same. Best of luck, Harry. Take care. You know, this movie is just like, it's a melting pot of things we've seen before, but like streamlined and like more efficient. This is mm-hmm. another one where it repackages a lot of things we've already seen ups the uh the intensity ups the violence and the max the toxic masculinity sure that too uh not mm. really a term they used back in the 70s i think they would have just called this man stuff mm. but it just you know it's everything on at least 10 and a half if not 11 and the movie just skips along because of it not a lot of mm. exposition not a lot of telling us anything it's all showing us, not unlike No Country for Old Men, but more linear, more straightforward. Mm-hmm. But a lot of yeah. show, don't tell, which is what I wanted to talk about with the, the Hot Mary scene. There's a lot of scenes in this movie that, in lieu of exposition, they replace it with action. And what it does to the pacing is keep the movie quick. Right. But, for example, just him... <laughs> called to uh stand on a trash can and peep in a window and then before he can even finish the fist fight to get called to a suicide attempt Mm. i mean it's just show don't tell right Mm. undermanned overworked and willing to do whatever it is that the city needs not necessarily out of the goodness of his heart but out of some kind of devotion to duty gets the job done keeps the story moving You don't have to pause the movie to say, oh, well, back when my wife was driving home late, she got killed by a drunk driver. And then I went to the funeral and I said to myself, Harry Callahan, now you can start swinging with hippie chicks. You know, (laughs) there's none of that. There's just real quick, just real quick. Oh, God, we have to talk. Okay, let's get it over with. Let's rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah, my wife died drunk driver. Okay, keep moving. And that's right. one of this movie's major assets is it's just the narrative keeps clicking, clicking, clicking. Yeah, I think that's why this is such a, I'm going to make a generalization here, a movie that men like, you know, because there's not a whole hell of a lot of talking. Right. And it's a lot of showing. I mean, think about the bank robbery scene, right? Mm-hmm. All he's trying to do is order lunch. And you don't get a bunch of back and forth like, hey, I see you in here all the time. Hey, I like your new shirt. Hey, how's the family? Oh, I'm so sorry. I hope you're, are you out there dating anymore, Harry? It's so sad about your wife. No, it's like, hey, you want the usual? Yeah, which usual? Okay, boom. We know he comes here all the time and he's a simple guy just getting his thing. Mm. He's, like that's how dudes operate. Yeah, and it's just his description of the car, you know, he's just efficient. Like he's not trying to tell us any more than he needs to. The guy gets it. We all get it. He's dirty freaking Harry. He's a cop. He's doing cop stuff. He's eating a hot dog. Oh, shit. Right? And just his body language as he leaves the cafe, Mm. the casual nature of his walk 
I mean, it tells you right away who this guy is and what he does. He's a reticent hero. I put that in the in the old notes because you've got that weird interaction with his new partner's wife where she's like, why do you keep doing this? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, in a lot of ways, I guess mm. they're going for like some way to like thread to the end his apparent resignation when he throws his badge away that like, you know, maybe he's mm-hmm. now finally done. He's done the thing that he wanted to do. You know, he's he's saved the lamb from, you know, from the the slaughterhouse. And now he can finally feel like, okay, now time to move on with my life. Yeah. Spoiler alert. He doesn't move he on doesn't. with his life. Yeah, figured. When I worked Vice, I busted that pimp for beating up a whore. I heard a guy I could use a doctor. Dr. Smith and Wesson for a frontal lobotomy. That Dirty Harry always seems to have just the right quip for any given situation. Even after shooting Scorpio the first time, he still takes time to insult the Giorgio. I bet Harry was trying to figure out the best way to blow the Giorgio off, because he knew he was bound to bump into him afterwards. He was probably like, Oh, what, I got? what can I say to him? Hey, the Giorgio, why did you make like a tree and leave? Nah, it's June 1955. Beat it, Lardess. Nah. Tubby. Oh, I know. Fatso. Yeah, Fatso will do nicely. That Dirty Harry was a great movie. Don't you love the police nowadays? Shoot first. Tell puns later. Yikes. Tough crowd. The first movie was a classic. But did we really need all those sequels? The last one was just Harry investigating who stole his pudding at the old folks' home. Magnum Force was a good sequel, wasn't it? Are those cops who were executing people? Oh, I know they're bad, but... Really hot. Am I right, ladies? I mean, those quasi-fascist uniforms just really accentuate the butt. Did you hear about those terrorists? It's the first time criminals escaped two Alcatraz. And from what I heard, the prison food? Not bad. There was a police chase in town recently. Well, a remote control car chasing the police. And I saw it. No, it's true, I saw it. I saw it and I thought, these Japanese, how small are they going to make their cars? I like to think all of Clint Eastwood's movies are just Dirty Harry spinoffs. Harry leaves the force, then goes to space, becomes a boxing trainer, and finally, 
Start smuggling drugs. What a life. Come on, Clint, it's not that bad. At least not as bad as Pink Cadillac. Don't worry. I'm not a paternity lawyer. Sheriff Bossa, the court orders you to set the prisoners free. You don't mean that, Judge. I do, and I'm so ordering you. Why? Because you acted improperly. You failed to get search and seizure warrants before you invaded their privacy. You failed to inform them at the time of their arrest of their legal rights to counsel, to silence, to access to a telephone. These people were responsible for eight deaths, Judge. You can't just let them go because of some little technicalities. The United States Supreme Court does not consider them little technicalities, Sheriff Usser. They are the law of the land. There's more to upholding the law than swinging a big stick and kicking down doors. Now you set them free, or I'll hold you in contempt, which I do anyway. Remove those handcuffs. Can we uh, talk about why all of that evidence is admissible? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that scene yeah. made me make a face <laughs> a little bit. Now I'm no law school graduate, you know. He had probable cause. <laughs> but he there he had, there's a well, major discussion to be had regarding probable cause. But he had exigent circumstances is what he had. But mm-hmm. here's the thing, guys. This movie shares something in common with a, a movie we watched a little bit back. I'm referring to Die Hard. Did you catch that, guys? It's got a real boots on the ground guy just trying to get the job done while everybody yes. above him's a freaking yes. moron. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so to lean into that, they give you a prosecutor who's not even willing to test prosecution based on one expert opinion that maybe it's inadmissible, but without paying any attention to the other side of the argument, right? That's not how you hope most uh, district attorney offices work. But, you know, what you've got Mm. is a society who a large chunk of the voting populace have seen enough of the upheaval of the 60s and mm. are ready for kind of the pendulum to start swinging the other kind way. Kind of repeating that time. <laughs> Maybe. Not? It's a time period where people had felt out of control and to see a character who is so in control all the time and just making things better in every way he could, uh, it was welcomed by the box office. Mm. Yes. It's kind of like Rambo in a way. I was thinking Rambo, and I was also thinking Punisher. It's like Punisher. Uh, To me, I think Harry... Both Dirty Harry and the Death Wish Charles Bronson character murder indiscriminately at times, using firearms for justice. You know, I've got a Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney-shaped devil on one shoulder being like, oh, it's an emergency. She's buried in the thing, and they gotta save her. Right? And then I've got, like, the... Angel on the other shoulder being like, hey, man, he's still got his rights. We got to do it by the law. Yeah, the problem is, and this is just like some social commentary, there really is no place for common sense in law. You know, law, I had a law professor that 
used to say law is the precise use of language, right? And that is what it is. And so when you make a law, it has to be so specific and so detailed that any ambiguity, it's like a contract. Any ambiguity in a contract is the responsible is the responsibility of the party drawing up the contract because yeah. any right? lawyer can take apart anything that's vague right exactly yeah but any ask anybody i sound like trump ask anybody they'll tell you it's common sense <laughs> you know it's huge 99 percent of people would be like yeah he did what he had to do it's fine well and right? you highlight the exact conversation with the da you know this unwillingness of the district attorney to put his own reputation on the line with a case that could potentially get thrown out, and then for him to lean on the expert and be like, oh yeah, here's one way that it could potentially get thrown out, so we're not even going to touch it. Right. And the feeling it's supposed to give you as an audience, anytime this obviously bad guy starts crying out for his you know, his rights and his protections and all these things, it's supposed to make you feel like, oh, he's just cheating the system. The right. system's never going to get this guy. So that by the time he gets blown away, you're just like, yeah, man, that's fucking justice. Right. And that's not right or wrong. I mean, it's it's debatable whether it's right or wrong. But it's certainly, the movie builds itself into a corner so that it can, you know, safely say to you, it was the right thing for this guy to blow that other guy away. Another thing that I wanted to say about it was that the uh, district attorney mentioned, you know, his report or like his curious report, like, do you know a cop that says, oh, yeah, I shot the guy in the leg and then I stood on it. <laughs> they put that in their report. They don't put that in their report. You know, they, you know, they, they're going to write in the report some legal way that they got the information that they needed. I'd like Unless, to see the report. I'd like to see specifically how, how they actually did get away with that. You know? Me too. I want more information. If anything, that's the one part of this movie I was like, yeah, I need more. I want to know exactly how it was phrased that it's so angered the district attorney, but at the same time, like he thought he could put that in the report and get away with it. Uh, there is a Dragnet episode called The Big Ruling in which Friday gets his man and a overly sentimental liberal judge throws out the arrest and nobody can, be- none of these good cops can believe it. Oh, but, wow. But sir, how much... How much more crime is there going to be because of this awful ruling? Well, that's true, you know. And there was no voice in the show that was like, that's the American way, you know, innocent until proven guilty. In the 50s episodes, there probably is some of that, you know. But insofar as there is a point of view, it's often very much that, you know, the greater good is served by just letting cops do their thing. And what... um. So they were really ripped from the headlines that immediately. Something could happen, and and they would have an episode about it in a in a week's time. A lot of them were California court cases about illegal wiretapping or tainted evidence, or you know all the kinds of shortcuts that police would do, which ends, I'm sure, in a lot of Daryl Gates era evidence planting and yeah. you know the, the stuff that really wouldn't surprise you about the LAPD of our lifetime. Because we're all appalled by violence, and all critics say how perfectly awful it is. But when uh, violence is turned against violence, we all become extremely moral about it and say, oh, no, we can't, we can't have the, uh, some people taking the law into their own hands. This is not your daddy's dragnet. Mm. Bennett, the San Pablo deputy, had been a great help to Harry so far. He had the makings, Harry thought. But he'd have to decide for himself 
which way he was going to go. Follow things through? Dog them to the end? Make waves and bother people? But get the job done the best way he knew how, regardless of the fallout. Or he could coast along, roll with the punches, look the other way, put in the time and make the brass nod their approval. Every cop had to choose at one point or another. Some guys had to keep making the choice over and over. Well, I think he does express a new mood in movies, and certainly he expresses a new mood in in American life. Uh, let, Let me see if I can put it this way. The Bogart hero felt pain. When he killed someone, he suffered from it, and he was a man of experience. You saw the lines of pain on his face. The Eastwood character does express, uh, well, how can I put it, a new emotionlessness about killing that people feel is the truth now. It used to be that that the man who stood for high principles uh, was the man who was also the best shot. Now we no longer believe that in order to be a great shot you need principles at all. And Clint Eastwood is a totally unprincipled killer. It is it almost seems like the hero as a psychopathic personality because his affectlessness as uh, when he kills begins to seem like an expression of a new nihilism. And I, I find it very displeasing. He's very unlike the John Wayne character who stood for the right, who was a man of principle. Clint Eastwood seems almost now a machine for killing. Are you ever appalled by violence in films that you see? You, you if it doesn't suit the situation, I'm appalled by violence in films, but if it suits the situation, you have to tell the drama. The basis of drama is conflict, and, uh, and sometimes uh, some films, uh, a certain amount of violence is justified, and some films none is justified. It depends on the story completely. I think uh, after we did uh, Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More and the good uh, Italian spaghetti westerns, as you were calling them, there was a hundred films that came out that were twice as violent, but they didn't do as well. So you can't say that, that violence is what sells the picture. It isn't. Any more homework questions? Yeah. So um, you asked uh, who I would cast in a remake, and this was a right. This yeah. was a tough one. Uh, for, Jason uh, Statham. Jason Statham. <laughs> Gerard Butler. Oh, no, I can't do his accent. <laughs> Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. I was thinking Gerard Depardieu. I was going in a very different direction. Um, so I, I had, uh, I have three possibilities for Harry. I think, uh, I think Carl Urban could do it. Um, oh, okay, yeah. And you know, I wouldn't have thought that from uh, Star Trek, but from uh, Judge Dredd or. Dread or whichever version, whatever his his version was called, and then he did a series for a little while, like one season about sort of futuristic cops, and he was partnered with an android, that kind of thing. Um, he's got he's got a little bit of an edge to him, so it would be interesting to see. Okay, what would how would he play in a in a role that's just sort of nothing but this kind of sterile edge? Um, so I liked him. I I think Hugh Jackman could probably do it. All right. Yep. Yep. But uh, but you know he has to uh, do his American accent as well, and I, I know how challenging that is uh, for you uh, for you Southern Hemisphere types. 
my last choice for Harry. Um, yep. And this is just something, again, because I'd, I would be curious to see him be that just one-dimensionally tough, would be Nathan Fillion. Who's that? Nathan so, Fillion. Uh, Firefly, uh, oh, Castle, right. the rookie, so, but, but Mal Reynolds from Firefly. Now, he's very much a sort of Han Solo type in the Firefly series. Um, he's also, he's on a show now called the rookie and he plays a, he's a, <laughs> it's, so it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a gimme, but he's a, a guy who's, when he turns 40, he drops everything and moves from the Midwest to Los Angeles to be the oldest rookie in the Los Angeles police department. And he's a very mature and, and sort of well-balanced and stable character that, so he's not playing a, a Harry style cop at all, but it would be I I think he's got a he's got a strength that he he might be able to pull it off. I, not that I think you could really make a dirty Harry movie today. Clint Eastwood is the only guy who can play someone called Dirty Harry, where it's a good thing. You hear Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry and think, this must be a tough guy who does the dirty work other people won't do. You hear Danny DeVito as Dirty Harry. And think, oh, this must be a guy whose car is filled to the brim with McDonald's boxes and old candy bar wrappers. House with crusty socks and even crustier magazines lying around, you know. You hear Clint Eastwood as Sweaty Bill. And you think, he's a loose cannon cop who sweats the criminals, right? You hear Danny DeVito as Sweaty Bill. And you think, no, thank you. And what's the deal with the Scorpio killer anyway? He's the only serial killer who's trying to flirt with you while he's killing you. Hey, baby, what's your sign? Well, I'm Scorpio, and I want to take you out. Is he telling us that he's a Scorpio? Because then you can find him by getting in one of those horoscope bozos, right? You're looking for a man who was born between October 23rd and November 31st, who is brave and loyal but prone to fits of jealousy, and prefers a bit of distance in his relationships. Preferably only seeing people through a telescopic lens. Excuse me, just a little sneeze. <laughs> Stunts always make me sneeze. Harry just you, you patrols the city, and everywhere you look, it's just hippie debauchery <laughs> right. and homosexuality. Right. Yes. yes. And Scorpio, for whatever we would say about him not having big ideas, he's clearly like a, a young hippie-type figure. Yes. Now, Siegel said he he had him wear the peace sign because no matter how depraved and evil you are, how dastardly, when you see yourself, you see yourself as good. I don't know. That doesn't work for me. No, it doesn't work in the film. (laughs) It certainly doesn't. It's not conveyed in the film, right? No. In the film, Scorpio is just, again, like, I think he's almost like this blank slate of every conservative conservative would have in the 70s like yes he's gay he's effeminate he's a hippie yes 
No, it is interesting that they have him. He's a religious bigot. Yeah, he's a religious bigot. It's interesting that they have him target uh, historically marginalized groups or uh, right. the uh, Catholic priests. That's interesting. Well, but that's the really religious do anything bigotry. With it. Andy Robinson as as uh, Scorpio is this weaselly, whiny, completely demented unreliable lying scumbag terror that you know is just like beyond you know he's like you know he's racist he's he's sexist he's he's a pedophile he's he's everything he's everything wrong in one person you know like he's just like this 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 composite of 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 just you know horror and 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 criminality you know and the way Robinson plays him is just so perfect because, you know, you hate that character. You hate him before the movie even gets going, really. You you hate that guy. Like when, when Harry stands on his leg in the football stadium scene and that and Schiffrin's score is like squealing away and the, the glare of the, the the lights on the field and, and the camera, it feels, you know, it feels like it's handheld and it kind of zooms. It has that weird way of going backwards and, and it's just... And you're just in it. You were like on Harry's side. You were like, police brutality, yeah, this is what we want. We want police who are standing on people's legs. Shoot more people. Kill more innocent people, police. This is what we want. That's how you're feeling in that sequence because the movie is so is so drawing you into it. And so if Robertson's performance was anything other than what it is, I don't think it would be as successful a, a movie as it is, you know, like as 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 perfect, you know, this sort of uh, didactic polemical movie you know so yeah no it's great it's what it's it's a great performance and I, i'm kind of sad that he didn't do more but i think it's just you know it's just one of those roles where you painted yourself into a corner like you, you made yourself into it's kind of like that actor who was in the warriors you know i feel like any movie you saw after you saw that actor in the warriors you're like you just couldn't think of him as anything but as the guy from the warriors you know I wanted to talk about the surgery scene and how much it reminded me of the self-surgery scene in, in Rambo. No Country. Oh, right. right. You know, mm. shotgun, leg wound, the idea of picking little chunks of metal out of flesh. What was it they were removing? Was it buckshot or was it shrapnel? It was buckshot from the guy who he ends up shooting, which again, okay, so, he's justified in shooting that guy because that guy shot him first. Like, Why is he trying to salvage pants? That have buckshot holes in it. They were twenty five dollars, Travis. I know, but he can't. He can't wear them anyway. They got buckshot holes. Oh, in them. it's just a Should couple let him of cut holes. Them. Now that that <laughs> is a plot hole that I need more information about. It's. But that. I was thinking that when that happened, I was like, why does he care if he cuts the pants? They have buckshot holes in them. You can't fix that. It's good, guys. I think you're almost finished. Thanks, Joe. Sorry. I oh, know we watched the movie. Oh, oh, yeah, just a few more minutes. I'll go through it. Thank you so much. That's all right. That's cool. That's fine. Don't worry. And now we, we have to talk all along the movie as well? Yeah. Jesus, that's going to be a long time. Though. Yeah, leave whenever you have to, okay? But yeah. No, it's just feeling the contents. That's all. That yeah, was 26 minutes of shit. Yeah. I'll edit it down to maybe 18 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, that'll be fine. Thanks, dudes. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. Content. That's what you need. Content. Want to have a bit of chips? Can I have chips? Too far away from each other.
Well, this is the reason you became a security guard, isn't it, Rick? The reason I became a security guard is just because it was a good gig. It was uh, close by, paid well, got to be outside on my feet all day type of thing. All right, I am recording. Sounds great. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, that was just, that was a blast. Oh, gosh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll do that later tonight. Yeah, I'll send that to you either tonight or first thing tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Bye. I don't know if it's my end or what. Skype. Skype's a bit like this. Thank you, brothers. Yeah. I mean, I don't use it much anymore, but... It's all about it's WhatsApp now. Uh, I've had problems with WhatsApp. You have to read. Skype. Skype. Good end Skype, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've not used Skype much in my prof- in my personal life, chat, so I'm... I don't have any experience, but well, I thought why it was... are we using WhatsApp? <laughs> oh, WhatsApp, man. Can you hear... Can you hear us, Chaz? I, I can hear you now. Yep, okay. okay. You'll always be the first Tim to me. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Anytime. Yeah, whatever you want me to do, any podcast stuff, I'd love to. Would love it. <laughs> yeah, I won't be buying any shares, now. Great. Cool. Thank you very much. No problems. See you, guys. Uh, I don't know. We've done nearly an hour. Are you getting tired? Yeah, but probably he wants us to finish. Yeah, I'm doing. Getting tired, though. We're getting tired. Yeah. And I'm doing. I don't know when does this podcast come out. Probably in a month. In Sorry. a month, I was gonna say. Oh, I'm doing. I'm doing some shows at Sydney Comedy Festival, so oh, that great. might work out timing-wise. That's in early May. Thank you so much for that, guys. No, Sorry, we went a bit over time. time. No. What are you going to do for the rest of the afternoon? I'm not too sure. Oh, we'll just probably get some housework done and yeah. relax. Oh, the rest of the to save. Yeah, yeah, usually it is. Jerry, have you ever met the Van Nuys mayor? Mayor? I. <laughs> no, I've never <laughs> met the Van Nuys mayor. <laughs> okay, stop it and save it. Okay. Yeah, no problem, and I'll, I'll, I'll get another one going. Cool. All right. All right. All right, I have been recording for about two minutes now just to capture all the goodness. Oh, you're welcome. Here, I'm going to hit stop on my recording and start a fresh one. Oh, Sean, thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Yeah. It's, um, it's almost 9 p.m., here in uh, here where I am, so it's yeah, just about my bedtime. And you guys, you fellas, have a have a wonderful afternoon. David, thank you so much. That was oh, no exceptional. Problem. No problem. I know you have better things to do. A lot of yeah. Thank you. Uh, not a problem. Not a problem. Okay, well, I'll get I'll send you that file as soon as possible. Yep. I'll give you my email address. Yeah, please. Thank you so much, David. And as you know, I'm the same John that you sent the um, the, the package to. Remember I won the competition last year or something? Yeah, yes, yes. Well, you're very lucky. And I was I was less lucky. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. How long did it take? Like three months for you to get it or something? That's crazy. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was seven weeks, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, it went surface, but that was that was my cheapest option. I wasn't going to send it airmail, believe me. So... <laughs> 
Well, I hope I hope you still uh, has the uh, mug lasted a little a little while. Or did it get all faded? In fact, it's, um, it's dirty in my kitchen sink right at the moment. I've got to go back and wash the dishes <laughs> before the wife finds out. Yeah. And I wear the the t-shirt the most. I don't use the tote bag as often as I should because I'm not a trendy young thing. But um, I do use it. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad I went to a good home. So that's great. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. And oh, no problem. And, uh... Okay, and we'll promote it on Sneaky Dragon, of course. Bye, David. Bye, Bye David, everyone. Okay. Bye. Bye. Nice to meet you over the phone. Bye. <laughs> the body's in the frozen, <laughs> the frozen food section. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he said Mr. McLaughlin came over and was nothing but professional and polite, but always kind of on. Definitely. And uh, Definitely. could see how things possibly could go in that way. Yeah. yeah. On some. <laughs> Repeat that, please, Ben. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, you know, that was apt. Okay, we'll just take a pause. It's we right. have our first caller. <laughs> it's my mom. Oh. <laughs> Hi, dolls. Very good, yeah. Just doing the podcast. <laughs> oh, the usual did, suspects. Did you say you only just watched this, Reese? Like you, you thought you'd seen it, but you hadn't actually. Yeah, seen it. we're not home. I yep. had all these uh, okay. scenes in my head. We're at Box Hill at Tim's house. I think they're from a late. I don't. Of one of the other. Yep. The other one. Because okay, <laughs> I realised, oh, this, and eventually that's when that bit that I think is going to happen, it's never coming. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, you don't need to lean so far. You're good. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry, guys. If I could just stop for a second. Um, it, it, we're getting to the point now where I'm hearing a lot, where I'm hearing almost nothing. Oh. <laughs> so can you guys could just get a little bit, little bit closer. To yeah, the, yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, nothing's changed. Yeah, it, it started off not quite as good as the last one, and now it's getting to the point where it's, yeah, where it's That's almost all silence. Talk, Shane, talk. I didn't hear any, any uh, questions. This is me talking. Yeah. Can you hear, Tim? Everyone? Hello? Can you hear us a bit better now? Maybe we'll, okay. Okay. we'll terminate sorry the call that. and start again, should we? Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry I about think that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. cool. Thanks. Sorry that's, about this. That's sounding yep. good. You're not cutting out. That's good. Yes, this is much better. There's no cutouts at all. Great. Good call. Good call. It's, it's like whatever you did, it's not cutting out at all now. Like even when you're not talking, it doesn't cut out. So I think you've completely fixed it, whatever you did. That one was perfect. I had every single word. We, we got it right in the end. <laughs> I, I... You may require an edit here while I <laughs> find it. Just in vegan enema enthusiast land, I th- and sorry, is she an anti-vaxer as well? Doesn't sounds like right. Let's say yes. Let's just tarnish reputation. If there's anything slanderous there, we've said goodbye to Lalo's music for the moment as we're coming to the office. Oh yeah, sad to see him go, but he'll be back. I don't think he would really notice. I mean, there was such a bombastic sort of intro that it's good to have a break. Oh, now you now you seem quiet. Oh, there we go. That's better. That's better. I'm just actually just treating it like a normal phone. So, I hope this sounds good. All right. Okay. That's that's right. That's right. No problem. No problem. My goal. If this thing has some traction to it, I really want to take off. Please let it take off. I, I really want to have the films of Jonathan Bampton minute. That that's my goal. In, like, oh, that's in so history. meta. Oh, it's it's what I really really want. <laughs>
I will all never, right, so we ever, do ever be a guest. Never. Dirty Harry, the running man, then all your back catalogue, John. Police Academy's number two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Please join us starting Monday, June 21st, 2021, as we analyze George Lucas's 1973 movie, American Graffiti, One Song at a Time. Inspired by the movie Spy Minutes Community, we're using the iconic soundtrack to frame our discussion of one wild and crazy night in California. Featuring three hosts. I'm your DJ, Doris. I'm your DJ, Rachel Mummert. I'm your DJ this week, Tierney Steele. And guests that ask the tough questions. What would be the slow dance song that they would play at my high school dance? It would have been pretty funny if Star Wars had incorporated like a similar space radio station during scenes of the Millennium Falcon. Oh my gosh, that explains so much. Also, that's Richard Dreyfus. American Graffiti, one song at a time, will air Monday through Friday all summer long. You can join us in the Mel's Listener's Driving Group on Facebook, and beginning June 21st, episodes will be available wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.